All right, well, if you have a Bible, let me invite you to open it up to Proverbs chapter 18. Uh, I will tell you, we're going to be bouncing all around Proverbs this morning, so you could also follow on the screen this morning if you want, but we're going to start in Proverbs 18. And um, as Pastor Ben said, uh, kids, kids worship kids, it's good to have you in the whole service this morning. Um, If you did not see on your way in, there are children's bulletins, sermon notes, customized for the sermon for you. All right, Miss Megan's got you covered. So if you did not get one of those, feel free to go right back now to Grace Connect and pick one of those up. Uh, I think you'll enjoy having that. But um, in this summer series, when we've been in the book of Proverbs, we have been seeing how we can be wise and how we can grow in wisdom, right? A topic that we can all agree, yeah, I'd be interested in that. I want to grow in wisdom. I want to be wise. And so we've been seeing some of the entracing, some of these major themes in Proverbs that shape practical everyday areas of our lives. And so this morning, we're going to dig into the wisdom of friendship. Friendship, which is both um, familiar to all and yet I think overlooked by many, if not most. Especially in the church, especially if I could say this, in the suburbs. Like why is it so rare for the topic of friendship to be publicly talked about in the church? Especially as we get older. What do we lose if we just stop talking about friendship in the church? Um, Well, a few weeks back, it might have been even longer, maybe a couple months ago, our our tech director uh, on staff, the man behind all the scenes, A.J. Graves, sent me what I thought was a funny post, maybe only a certain percentage will agree, that said this to illustrate this point. It said, of all the miracles that Jesus performed in the Gospels, No one talks about the one of Jesus being a guy who has 12 close friends in his 30s. (laughs) Kids, you can ask your parents later why they're laughing uh, at that one. It's, It's a painful laugh. It's a slow burn, all right? It's a slow burn. But do we really need this teaching on friendship? Is it worth our time? Um, Maybe if you were honest, you kind of hear that now and just think, man, of all the things going on in the world... All the pressing topics, all the doctrines we could be talking about, do we need a whole week on friendship? Well, regardless of where you are, and again, we got the whole crew in the sanctuary this morning, elementary-aged kids with us. Uh, They're the ones, and you're the ones, we often think about the topic of friendship for most, right? You are in a stage of life where you're making new friends, making friends, building friendships at school, at church, on your sports teams, in your clubs. To our youth in the room, middle school, high school, friendships are vital relationships. And in a time where, quote-unquote, growing up uh, emotionally, physically, spiritually, and, and the role that friendships can speak into this, and then in that life stage, you start to also realize the pain that can be associated with friendship and friends. On up to the adult friendships, and this is not always the case, not for everyone, but often, I think especially in our area, friendship can just drift to the back burner of your life. Um, there's career, there's family, and, then, and just the reality of friendship might not be seen as, as important or as prioritized. But for all of us, in whatever category you're in, if that explained you or you find yourself somewhere in between or a combination of those, uh, we can agree friendship is a big topic. It's going to be a complicated topic. A mixture of emotions when I just say friends and what comes to your mind. There's memories of joy. Maybe even a current gratefulness of just the uh, reality of good friends you have in your life right now. Maybe the sorrow of the absence of good friends in your life right now. 
memories of pain, um, friends you no longer have, in the life stage where friendship's not as big of a deal. So there's a mixture of emotions. If we just went around, we're all across the board with friendship. But beyond our experiences, here's the main reason. We're going to do a sermon on friendship out of the book of Proverbs. Um, the Bible has a lot to say about it. Like if I were to sit down, or no, if I were to ask you to sit down and read all the Proverbs in one sitting, and, you know, depending on, and like read it slow, like really try to soak it in, but read it all in one sitting. Let's say it takes you an hour and a half. Read through all the book of Proverbs. And right after you read it, I sit you down and I ask you, okay, what were the major topics and themes that came up most in that reading? I think friendship would be on the list. Uh, if not top five, then definitely top ten of things you just saw recurring again and again throughout the book of Proverbs. It has a lot to talk about friendship. So while I might concede that the topic of friendship might not be in your top ten, to be honest, there's a lot of times where it might not be in my top ten of topics that I'm interested in hearing more about. It is vital. It's vital for the glory of God. It's vital for your life. It's vital for the ways you can teach and disciple others in your life on the topic of friendship. So, Proverbs 18, if you have your Bible open, or it'll be up on the screen, verse 24, it's going to be one of our two kind of anchor verses to get us started this morning. Here's what it says. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And then the second anchor verse, Proverbs 13, 20. You can either try to flip your pages really fast or just keep your eyes on the screen. It says this, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So right out of the gate, the topic of friendship matters in the church because simply, friends matter. You cannot be wise in God's eyes without friends. They are not optional. Your growth in wisdom will be stunted without biblical friendship. So to illustrate this, let's compare it to marriage. The relationship that we tend to, especially the church in the suburbs, we tend to elevate as the most important relationship. To the detriment, often, of friendship. Not that we have to compare the two or pit the two against one another, but the Bible does say you can do without a spouse. You can do without a spouse in this world and be just fine in God's eyes. Right? Marriage is not required for wisdom. Marriage is not required for fulfillment or for the fullness of joy, for purpose, and for intimacy. And if you're in a place where you are single or God is calling you to singleness, either short-term or long-term, you need to know that you're not less than in the church or in God's eyes. Or maybe you were made single through a divorce or, um, or being a widow. Oftentimes, we can, and I admit this, we can imply that being single is second-rate in the church. You can find it harder to make relationships to fit into the life of the church when you're single. And that is our problem, not the Bible's problem. Because the Bible says marriage is optional, friendship isn't. The expression of your life in the church might be different if you're single, but not the fulfillment of your life. It's all there for us. So according to the Bible, you can do without marriage, but you can't do without friendship, or else no one should. Uh, there's a pastor and author named Sam Alberry who wrote a great little book called Seven Myths of Singleness. All right, So just note that book down. It's good for everybody to read, uh, but particularly if you're in uh, a life where God has called you to singleness, uh, I just think it's going to be really great, encouraging read, short read. He makes the compelling point that before God created Eve to be Adam's wife, he created Eve to be Adam's friend. Eve came not first to be Adam's wife, but to be a companion, to be a friend. 
So the little quote here says, marriage is not the sole answer to the observation. It is not good that the man should be alone. And I admit friendship can be hard to talk about, certainly hard preparing a sermon, because every relationship, in a sense, can include aspects of friendship. There can be aspects of biblical friendship in your marriage. There can be aspects of friendship with people you work with, aspects of friendship if you're a teammate or a neighbor. But here's what I want to do this morning. I want to lay out a framework for friendship and show us how it comes from God first, how it's connected to your salvation, and then be able to get to the place where we can say, okay, how is this practically, how can it practically live out in your life? What's it like to have friends and to be a friend? So that's kind of the roadmap of where we're going this morning, starting with number one. God in himself to himself. This is where friendship starts. God in himself to himself. Friendship begins with God without us. And in that sense, it is a part of the doctrine of God, meaning who is God in his very nature, in his very character. Friendship begins there. So the doctrine of the Trinity teaches that within one being, that is God, there is three, there exists three co-equal and co-eternal persons. Each is fully God, and yet each is not the other. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one being, three equal and co-eternal persons, three in one. Now, as many of you know, there, over the last 2,000 years, have been all kinds of attempts at illustrations to help explain the Trinity. People are desperate to try to explain the Trinity with an illustration, and honestly, most of those illustrations are misleading at best and heretical at worst. All right, the other pastor in the room laughed at that one. All right, all right, you just, we, we know, right? We, we, we know it, we've seen it. Misleading at best, heretical at worst. And so while there is a mystery in the sense of the triune God, it is clear, this is important, it, there, there's a mystery to it in the Bible. But it's clear in the Bible. A clear mystery. So I want to put an image on the screen. Kids, you have an advantage. You have this image on your sermon notes, all right? But we need to let your parents see too, all right? On the screen, it's the shield of the Trinity that for me, maybe just a visual learner, it just helps to explain it. It's clear that the Trinity says that the Father is God, and the Son is God, and the Spirit is God. And it says the Father is not the Son or the Spirit. The Son is not the Father or the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father or the Son. And that truth is the foundation through which all Christianity stands. And that's not an overstatement. And I wish we could have all the time in the rabbit trails to tell you why so much about the Christian faith relies on that being true. But for the purpose of this this morning, it also sets the standard for friendship. God has and is in an eternal friendship with himself. God has and is in an eternal friendship with himself. Uh, The Bible says that God is love, and the very essence of love and the primary application of that love is within the Trinity, the relationships between the Father and the Son and the Spirit that have existed for all eternity. Here's what that means. Maybe you've heard this before. Maybe you've mistakenly said this to your kids before. He didn't create us because he was lonely and needed a friend. Did you ever hear that? Like, why did God create the world? Why did God create people? Well, he just, he wanted us because he was lonely. He wanted friends. The Trinity affirms That God is friendship in his very nature. I'm going to share one verse. I could give many verses that illustrate this, but just for the sake of time, let me show you one. Uh, John chapter 17, this one will be on the screen. 
when Jesus is praying the night before he went to the cross, he says this. John 17, 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom, they, whom you have given me, meaning his disciples, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me. Look, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. This has been for eternity, this relationship. And so friendship matters because it's baked into the nature of God. So when God does create the world, and the Bible says he created us in his image, we have upon this, upon us, this image of friendship, which leads to number two. God in Christ to us. God in Christ to us. So as we said, when God created humankind, he didn't do so out of necessity. He did it as an expression of his love. He did it to express his love. He did not do it because he needed love. It was out of the overflow he created, not out of the lack. Uh, Ray Ortland puts it this way. Um, he says this. He says, the heart of God is friendship reaching out. Love that. Like the heart of God is his eternal friendship now reaching out. My, my, my guess is, like me, you probably didn't, haven't thought about creation in that way or the why of creation in that way. But it's biblically true. A triune God who chose to, did not have to, create us. And we'll get more into this in the next point, but that is the essence of friendship. Because you know what? You've all been born into a family in the biological sense, and you didn't choose that family. You had no say in it whatsoever. But friendship is a choice. You choose to be a friend Someone else chooses to be a friend to you. And that is baked into God's heart to choose, to reach out. And so this gets us into the tragedy of the fall of man. Why was the fall of man so tragic? Why was sin so fracturing in the creative order? A lot of reasons. But for this morning, we see the fallout of friendship when sin came. It, baked, it, 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 it fractured what was baked into the, 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 the nature of God and the nature of creation. Our friendship with the triune God was broken. And we were separated from his love and from his care by choosing our glory. Just as choosing to be a friend is a choice, so choosing to not be a friend and choose our glory over God's glory is a choice that we've all made. Tragic choice. To reject his rule, reject his reign, his design over our lives and put ourselves in his place. So it impacted our friendship with God, but also it impacted the friendships with other people, our community with other people. It fractured that. You know, when Adam and Eve, when, when, when they sinned, what, what, what did we first see them experience? The first people to ever experience shame. They were no longer unashamed, but now they were filled with shame. So what did they do? Well, they hid from God, which is what we do when we feel shame. But then they also covered themselves up from one another. That shame was now horizontal, not just vertical. And they tried to hide. And that is what we've experienced. That when we sin against one another, and we hurt one another, when we gossip, when we betray their secrets, when we cut them down in order to prop ourselves up, when we harm others physically, emotionally, spiritually, when we neglect others and the things that they need from us, 
And, and the most tragic part about the tragedy is that you tend to hurt people the most who are closest to you. Like family and those whom we call friends. And, and, and it's, it's, it's so painful to know that we can be capable of inflicting pain on other people in that way. Conversely, we are hurt by other people. And those, if we're honest, that hurt us the most are the ones who've said they love us the most. The deepest pain, the pain that doesn't just make you feel something in passing, but something inside starts to turn. That's the pain that comes from hurt from friends. And so in the midst of that chaos, in the midst of that breaking and that fracturing that we don't even know but we feel, that is the moment that the Father out of his great love and as an expression of his great love, sent his only son. It's in the midst of that pain that he sent his eternal son, whom he has had an eternal friendship with, by the power of the eternal spirit, to now take on flesh and restore that which has been fractured. Amongst many other things, what he restored is the right view and practice of friendship. And it's the essence of the gospel. A story of restoration. Not that you were good enough or you were such a good friend to God or others that you deserved God's love and you deserve this mercy, but that he came to restore you on your worst day, not your best. And how did he come? How did he talk about his arrival and what he was here to do? Did he come in condemnation and rebuke? Like, I can't believe you guys made it come to this point. Unbelievable. No. He came as a friend, which is to say he came by choice, not because he had to, but because he chose to. Uh, in Luke chapter 7, when Jesus was tangling with the Pharisees, he was calling them out on their hypocrisy, as he often did, because they were very hypocritical. And particularly in Luke 7, he was calling them out about that, uh, the fact that they were so mad at him that he hung around sinners. Can you believe it? The down and out. And Jesus says this, Luke 7, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Jesus came as a friend of sinners. Brothers and sisters, he came for you, for the down and out, the ones who no one thought ever had a chance, the one who no one would want to befriend. And when he says there, interesting, knowing that we're studying Proverbs, he says, wisdom is justified by all her children. He's referring to himself as wisdom, which we've talked about week after week, that wisdom is a person before it's a way of life. So Jesus is the wisdom of God is justified by the lives of those who follow after him. That's what he means by that line. That friendship from Christ to us changes everything. And so on some level, can, that, can we all affirm that in some way? Can we all affirm that no matter what's going on in your life, if you can say deep down, I have, even if it's just a single, awesome friendship, doesn't it make everything else better? Doesn't it just change the outlook on all your life? Again, no matter your circumstances, if you know deep down, I have a friend that sticks closer than a brother or a sister, doesn't that do something to us? One thing can change everything. And that truth is rooted in the fact that we are called to have a friendship with Jesus Christ. It changes us from the inside out. 
So that was to the Pharisees in Luke 7. But then in John chapter 15, again, the night before he would go to the cross and atone for their sin, Jesus would say this to his disciples in verses 13 through 15 of chapter 15. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. The greatest example and expression of friendship that has ever occurred in the history of the world was displayed on the cross of Jesus Christ. The greatest expression of friendship was displayed on the cross of Jesus Christ when he gave his life for those whom sinned against him, who covered their offense with love. So that whoever would repent of their sin and place their faith in him would not only be forgiven, but would be considered a friend of Jesus. So church, in the most serious sense, here's my question for this morning. Is Jesus your friend? Have you chosen to follow the one who first chose you? Friendship is a choice. Do you know that you can I hope you know that you can. That this morning you might not choose to, but I hope that you know that you can choose to. By accepting the hand of friendship from the God of the universe, God in Christ to us, for it's in Jesus that we hear the words that if we're honest, everyone always wants to hear in their life. You know what the phrase is we always want to hear? Here's the phrase. Whether you're a kid or adult or somewhere between, let's be friends. Do you know that? In 1855, there was a pastor named Joseph Scriven. Joseph Scriven was writing a letter to his mother. His mother was aging and living in Ireland. Joseph was in North America. His mother was struggling with loneliness as she got older. And so, in an attempt to encourage her in this letter, Joseph wrote a poem and included it in the letter, hand-scratched it on paper. Decades later, After Joseph passed away, this poem would be turned into a song that is still one of the most popular and most sung hymns in the church today. Do you know what it was? What a friend we have in Jesus. Here's a second or third verse up on the screen. He's writing to his mom. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful? Who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. And upon being a friend of Jesus Christ, in that restoration, now we are able to think rightly and live wisely when it comes to friendships in this world. And it won't be perfect. My goodness, our friendships will not be perfect. But they will be effective for the people of God. And they will be vital for your life, which leads to number three. God in us to one another. This is the framework of friendship. God in himself to himself. God in Christ to us. And now, God in us to one another. And so now we can turn to the book of Proverbs to see how we can grow in wisdom when it comes to friendship. 
Uh, Similarly to last week's sermon on planning, there's not a verse for who you specifically should be considering a friend in your life right now. I probably can't tell you, you got to stop being that person's friend. Or I can't tell you where you got to go to meet a friend. But it does provide a solid foundation of principles for friendship. So this is a two-way street here. Both what friends can do to us and in us, and then what we can be as a friend to others in any life stage. This is for everybody in the room. Kids, youth, adults, this is for everyone. And so I got five things out of the book of Proverbs that we can think about with friendship and apply it to our lives. Here are principles. I'll be honest, you got to do some work here. You're going to have to do some work here if you want this to actually work for you. you got to learn to pl- apply this to your life. And I don't want to imply that friendship is easy. Guys, it's so easy. It's not easy. It's not simple. But at the same time, the Bible, and specifically the book of Proverbs, sheds light on what we need to see. So five things, starting with Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born in adversity. Number one, and we talked about this already, friendship is a choice. Friendship is a choice. Um, You don't have to be with friends with everybody. You cannot be friends with everybody. But do not mistake that with not needing to be friends with anybody. You hear me? Just because you can't be friends with everybody doesn't mean that you don't need to be friends with anybody. You need friends to grow in wisdom which is to say to grow in Christ-likeness, and you cannot do it alone. Um, in 2023, all the apps, all the technology, all the information that's out there for you, you know what? You can get rich without a friend. You, you, you can commit your whole life to making as much money as you want. I just want to make as much money as I want, and you could do it, and you don't need friends for that. You can get really strong and really in shape without a friend. You got some motivation this summer. You say, by summer 2024, six-pack. It's going to happen. Have at it. You can do it without a friend. You can experience success at work without a friend. You can thrive uh, at school and your grades. You can be the captain of your team, youth, high school, college, pro, without a friend. But you can't be wise without a friend. Without wisdom... You won't be happy. You could be rich. You could be jacked. You could be successful. But that won't lead to happiness. Biblical wisdom will make you happy. Happy in the lasting sense. Otherwise, you're left always chasing, trying to distract yourself from that which you're really missing out most on. So friendship is vital because as we saw in the first two points, it's rooted in a choice. And so I want to quote Ortland more fully here. It'll be up on the screen. He says, a faithful friend who loves at all times. That person is rare. A brother is obligated to be some kind of safety net. That is what family is for. But a friend chooses you. When someone loves you at all times, good and bad, and they don't have to, but they choose to, That person is a friend. Let's keep going. Number two, out of Proverbs 17, verse 9 now. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Number two, friendship requires forgiveness. Friendship requires forgiveness. Uh, The reason why we do need friends from the previous point who choose us in good times and bad times is because we're going to have some bad times. Not just circumstantial that happened to us, but because we're sinners. 
And our lives will consist of sinning against other people, including our friends. And we will have poor and selfish decisions. Doesn't mean we don't care about those or we don't try to root those out, but they're going to happen. Do you know those moments I'm talking about? Those moments where they happen, and at some point, either right after the fact or down the road, you think, I can't believe I did that. Why did I do that? It it, it is heartbreaking to acknowledge that you hurt a friend. Like someone you really concern, a friend, and you hurt them. And it's just as painful when you realize that a friend has hurt you. I can't believe they did that. Why would they do that? And so if real friendship is going to persist and not just be over-romanticized, at some point, and probably more points than we like to admit, forgiveness will be required. Covering an offense in love. That's what it means. To cover an offense with the loving act of forgiveness. And while um, forgiveness does not require an apology, right? We know that. Uh, You can forgive someone even if they don't apologize. I do think, though, if a friendship is actually going to be healthy and persist, you're going to need to see both. It's going to require confession and repentance, and then it's going to require forgiveness. An honest apology and true forgiveness. And we as the children of God have a power in us to forgive that non-believers act lack. I'm not saying non-believers cannot forgive. I'm saying we have an advantage, a power in us that equips us to forgive. The Spirit of God in us, right? The, the, the restoration that we've experienced through Jesus Christ, we know the transformative power of forgiveness, so now we can extend that to others. And that we don't enjoy the pain that we feel, We don't enjoy the pain that causes the need to forgive others. We can rejoice in the power of forgiveness. That strengthens a relationship. So here's a couple questions for us, very practical. Do you apologize to your friends? And then secondly, and conversely, do you forgive your friends? And I don't say this as a shot, but hear me. Or is the pattern of your life is that the first time when somebody wounds you, you run from them? They're out. It's over. No chance of forgiveness. Moving on. Friendship's over. Is that a pattern in your life? Now, we've got to be really careful here, really nuanced here. There will be times when boundaries will have to be put up, even within friendships. Because the back half of verse 9 is also true. That a person who repeatedly sins against you, like gossiping or abusive talk or something else, separates close friends. Separation has to happen when there's a repeated offense over and over again. I'm not saying be a doormat. I'm saying, do you forgive your friends? Is the posture of our hearts to forgive and to restore those who sin against us? I don't think you will have lasting or strong friendships without it. All right, moving on. Next one. Out of Proverbs 27, verse 6. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. We're up to number three, I believe. Friendship includes honesty. Friendship includes honesty. Um, This is not saying that friends are actively trying to hurt one another or wound one another. We just went over that. That's not the case. But rather that there will be times where a friend, out of their love and concern, will have to say something to you that feels like a wound at first. It's going to hurt a little bit. They see something. They hear something harmful you do or say to them or to others. They start to notice a pattern of behavior that's beginning to emerge in your life. And in love, they bring it up to you. 
That is what a good friend does. It includes honesty. Friendship is not a blanket acceptance no matter what. Do whatever you want, and I'll never say a word. That's not friendship. That's something else. That's someone trying to flatter you, probably trying to gain favor from you in some way for a selfish reason, or someone trying to control you, which is why Proverbs 27 say profuse or flattery is an aspect of an enemy, not a friend. This doesn't mean that a friend should be going, again, looking to wound, and we certainly, certainly should be aware of how we bring something up and when we bring something up to our friends and the tone in our voice and uh, to ensure that we take the plank out of our own eye before we go after the speck in our brother or sister's life. But a true friend is not too scared to say something at times. And whether they bring it up to you or even better, out of your trust for them and your respect for your friendship, have you ever asked somebody, hey, um, can you, uh, is there anything about this situation I'm in that you can think of where I'm wrong? You, you can preemptively ask, can, can you tell me if there's something in my pattern of behavior that feels off? Is there something in the way I'm handling this situation, the way I'm talking to this person that is off the rails? Can you be honest with me? It may feel like a wound, but just as a surgeon wounds their patient in order to heal them, a wound from a friend can actually be a means of grace to increase your wisdom because they're being honest. Friendship includes honesty. Let's keep going. Proverbs 27, 17. This is a common, popular verse in Proverbs. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Number four. It's true for all the people of God, men and women. Friendship promotes holiness. Friendship promotes holiness. Friendship helps you see yourself as you really are. When you let people into your life, you allow them to play a sharpening role in your life. And we all need this. We need people in our lives who, by the nature of our relationship, will make us sharper. That because I'm in your life, because you're in my life, I am sharper. Well, what is sharper? What does it mean to be sharper? It means a growth in holiness. It means an increase in Christ-likeness, where a friend is promoting, encouraging, and modeling a life of pursuing Christ, where over time, we'll never stop struggling in this world, but we will look more like Jesus because of a good friend, right? Uh, a quote that I've heard my dad say, I don't think he started it, but he said that in this world, you'll never be sinless. But by God's grace and through meaningful friendships, we will sin less over time. You will never be sinless, but by God's grace, you can sin less. And a good friend can promote that in your life. True Christian friendships do not allow room to justify sinful behavior. Have you seen this? I've seen this. I've felt this. I probably um, was complicit in this. That, well, I'm a Christian and you're a Christian. All right, we, we, we both know the truth. We're both saved. So it doesn't matter how we actually behave or talk around one another. Like, man, that's a lie from the enemy. That because we're just around Christians, we can kind of let our guards down and not promote that holiness in one another's lives. A true friend is one who loves you enough to encourage holiness in your life, wants to see you mature, wants to see you grow wise. And this commitment to the kind of friends we are to strengthens believers and then serves as a witness to our friends who are non-believers. So we can't talk a lot about this, but you've got a lot of friends in your life who don't know Christ. And it's not that you have to abandon those friendships. I think your most important friendships should be with believers. But you're never going to abandon all your friendships with non-believers. 
because your friendship with believers, hang with me, will serve as a witness and strengthen you for your witness to non-believers. Uh, let me have a quote up here from Amy Bird, who wrote a book on friendship. And she speaks to this when she writes, Our shared practices help us to love our unbelieving friends well. In all friendships, we practice truthfulness, hospitality, making and keeping promises, table fellowship, gratitude, promoting holiness, there it is, celebrating and suffering together, discernment and forgiveness. It teaches them that the household we are a part of is not of this world. All right, we got one left. Proverbs 29, verse 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Number five, and lastly, friendship is a gift. Friendship is a gift. That phrase in verse 9, earnest counsel, can literally be translated the counsel of the soul. That there is a deep intimacy that is real intimacy in friendship, that is a gift to our soul that enters into the beautiful design of our Creator for us to feel gladness and joy in the midst of friendship. You're called to feel joy in your friendship. It's a gift. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for friend, you know what it also could be translated as? This is interesting, at least to me. The word for friend in the Hebrew Old Testament could also be translated secret. Which is why, as little children, we learn, and children, you learn early on, that a friend is someone you can share a secret with. That's a friend. You can entrust them with a secret, which means you can let them know on the very real things that are going on in your life. That is the secret of our soul. What's really true in here? Is there somebody that you're willing to share that with? That's a friend. Not what I want to be true. Not what I want to display as being true. Like, what's really going on in your soul? What's the secret of your soul? And in order for someone to provide that to you, they got to let you in on the secret. Which is to say, you have to be their friend. And that's the scariest part of friendship. Because remember, we're sinners. There's a risk here. When you let somebody in on the secret, you trust them with it. And it could burn you. And maybe it has burned you. Or maybe the fear of that has kept you from ever sharing what's true inside with somebody else for that very reason. So it's the scariest part of friendship, but it's also the most powerful, life-giving part of friendship that I don't have to keep this to myself. So, five foundational principles. It's a choice. It requires forgiveness. It includes honesty. It promotes holiness. And finally, it is a gift for those who receive it and in turn give it. And so I'm going to close now, as I said earlier, that's foundational, that was fast, it's high level, it starts with the doctrine of God, to salvation to your lives, now it's on you. you got to work to apply this now, because I don't know your situation with friendship. I don't know if this is in one year or not the other, because you just don't have the time to care. Or I don't know if that this reaches to such a place of woundedness that you don't want to open that up again. Because there is a lot of pain here. There is so much sin in friendship, brokenness and relational scars that feel upon repair. It affects the way you see yourself. It affects the way you see others. It makes it hard to let anyone in. And so I leave you where we began with our anchor verse, Proverbs 18, 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer 
than a brother. Brothers and sisters, friendship is about quality, not quantity. I want to remind you as we close that there is a friend, a super friend, who is of the highest quality you can have. And he's not imaginary, and he's not in your head, but he's rooted in your soul, and his name is Jesus. And the Apostle Paul himself, who's a mere human like you and I, and flawed like you and I, got to the end of his life in jail, writing to Timothy, and tells Timothy at the end of his life, for all he's done, he's done so much good stuff, that at the end of his life he was abandoned by all his friends. He says, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me, all. But may it may not be charged against them. Why? Because the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, and his name is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the things that your word talks often about, including friendship. We thank you, Lord, that all that we know about friendship comes from you and who you are. We thank you that all we experience in friendship is fulfilled in you. And that, Lord, that your son befriending us by going to the cross will empower us to pursue friendship in this world once again. I pray, Lord, that that dust would be kicked up in many people's lives this morning that put that away for never to be pursued again, Lord. Give them the desire, give them the motivation to be a friend, to pursue friendship for your joy, for your glory, and for the good of others. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.